0: Like to watch ultimate fighting anybody like to watch that i love that how many of you like me do ultimate fight? no i don't do ultimate fighting but i've been watching it a lot lately because i've got itunes apple tv and stuff and i know you can download the seasons of this anybody that into it have you watched the seasons ultimate fight season one two three there's like seven how do i know that how do i know that you'd probably be watching that well i watched a very cool season got obsessed with it kept downloading those things um, it's been going on for more than about ten years now, so if you missed it, you could be living under a rock somewhere. Here's the gist of it: you got two world-class fighters that coach, and you know, you know, red team, yellow team, something like that, and they'll pick from about fourteen or fifteen fighters that are up and coming, but that maybe don't know that much about them. And they'll just pick, you know, kind of like we used to do a kickball or dodgeball when we were kids, and then somebody matches up each week. Somebody from the yellow team, somebody from the red team will match up and beat the living snot out of each other, and the winner of that moves on. I mean, I think that sounds fun. Some of you are like, you're sick, sadistic. Uh, the winner of the whole thing gets a $100,000 contract to become a, an ultimate fighter. Uh, after you see a couple fights, here's what happens. At least here's what happens with me, and, and if you guys are honest and you watch it, you'll say it happens with you. You begin to feel like you can predict the outcome. I mean, you see these people training and all, so you look at it and you go, all right, this guy's gonna win, this guy doesn't have a chance. But more often than not, you're wrong. I mean, I'm starting to predict these things, that I see him, you know, Nathan, I was watching it with my son, we're going, this guy, there's no way he's gonna have a chance. In fact, one guy that we thought was just so unorthodox and quirky won in 18 seconds against the number one seed. I mean, the number one seed just kind of rushed at him and dove and his head was right here, so he put him in a guillotine and choked him out in 18 seconds. So you just can't predict these things. Uh, sometimes you think just when the best boxers are winning, uh, that it's boxing that, that will win this thing. Then all of a sudden, grapplers, raise your hand if you know what grapplers are. Liar, some of you don't know what grapplers are. I know you do because you do jiu-jitsu, don't you? That's right, man. I can take you. Just, I'm the safety of this place, I'm saying. You know, he's only, what, 6'5", so we're about the same height. I think it's, I think it's pretty even. Uh, then you start thinking the grapplers. They're the ones that can win. After watching it for a while, you know, that becomes a new norm. Then a slew of stand-up fighters that have new talents Come in and you go, well, it's those that can strike that are winning. Well, it's those that can kick that are winning. It's the wrestlers that are winning now. It's the jujitsu guys that are winning. It's the quickest kickers that win. And just when you think you have it, something changes. In fact, the truth is, for every argument of a style of fighting, you know, that that's the best. Something else, you can make an argument for another style of fighting. Um, and it doesn't, but it doesn't stop people from jumping on a bandwagon when something comes along and saying, this is how you have to do it, everything else is incorrect and doesn't work. I've noticed that marriage and relationships, but especially marriage, is a lot like MMA, in case you did not know where I was going. Mixed martial arts. Now, I know some of you are probably sitting there going, that, that describes my marriage, pretty much. I mean, all we do is fight. But I'm not referring to the, the tips we get in. I'm talking about the big, bold promises uh, that books make, or maybe Dr. Phil makes, or maybe Oprah uh, or something that come along and say, you want to have a successful marriage, you want this thing to last, then do this, right? You want this thing to last, then here's the seven secrets or the six secrets of a healthy, satisfying marriage. Here's the things that you haven't been doing. Here's what you need to stop doing, all these different things. And, and people jump on a bandwagon. They always have the answer to a perfect marriage, a thriving relationship, here's what you want to do if you want to have a better sex life, that kind of stuff. Uh, Going back to the MMA, though, you know who did win consistently? I mean, if you really look at it, you really put everything aside, styles and all, you know who won consistently? There is a recipe. There is a thread underneath the whole thing, and I noticed this. I mean, it's probably not a revelation to the people who run Mixed Martial Arts and Ultimate Fighting. I don't think they're gonna invite me on the show or anything, but here's what it is. Those who, three things, if you're taking notes. Those who wanted it most, well, that's pretty simple, right? I mean, just look at that thing, $100,000, I don't care, but I want to be an ultimate fighter. The one who wants it most, the ones who value it most, who think it's actually a big deal to get a trophy and win, and those who, were, and here's the key, here's the biggest one, those who were committed to it the most. That was the thread. That's the thing that lasts through this whole deal. And so when people look at relationships that work and ones that don't work, even if you're not really a note taker, please get this. This is so key. Again, good relationships are no accident. Good relationships aren't some kind of fluke or an accident. But if you look at our culture today, wouldn't you almost think that they are? I mean, look at our culture today and you would think that, well, you get married because you have those butterflies flittering around in your stomach and you feel that love towards... Some, you know, someone and they feel it towards you and so that's how the relationship lasts. As long as you can keep the butterflies flittering around, that relationship will last. Well, you can't. You can't keep that happening. And if that's what you're basing it on, then it's doomed to fail. It's really those three things and it's the same in marriages as it is in mixed martial arts. I'm going to kill that comparison now. That's just for the beginning of this. Proverbs 20, 25 says, it's a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. So we're talking about commitment. We're talking about dedication. But Proverbs says, it's a trap to just go around saying, I think I'll, I'll commit to that. Uh, no, I, I didn't mean it. I'm going to commit to this. Well, God says, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But what this is saying is be careful what you say yes to. Be careful what you say no to. Don't pile up a lot of stuff and then just try to get out of it. You know, a long time ago, it seems to me that people really understood the power of commitment. In fact, I'm going to show you the secret, and not in my really my father's generation, but mostly in my grandfather's generation. I'm going to show you the uh, the, the secret of how a deal was made. Mason, you come up here. Come on, come on up here. He looks scared to death when I say that. It's no big deal. Now he's not ready for this, but we're gonna. I'm going to show you the magic of a deal. If I make a deal with Mason, and we're living in 1910. That's the deal right there, right? We just made a deal. I mean, he doesn't know. He's, it's a little limp. You need to really squeeze on that thing. There you go. That's a man's answer. That's a deal. So that's how deals were made. You just shook your hand, and, and believe it or not, when, people, when it came to arguing about what the deal was, people would say, well, did you guys shake on it? Nobody back then, or very, very few people would go, no, I'd never shook if it was a lie. I mean, it's almost like they would say, you know what, we I mean, yeah, we shook on it, so we gotta work this out. In other words, it was just their word and their commitment and the value of their word that held it together, that held it together. Nowadays, it's changed a bit, hasn't it? Nowadays, I mean, think about this. If you wanna close on a house, for instance, I mean, you, you need a room full, of, you need a half a day, right? How many of you have closed on a house or refinanced even lately? You need about a half a day, there's gonna be a mountain of paperwork to sign and a room full of attorneys, right? Why, because why is there all that stuff? Why is there all that stuff? And in fact, if you really read closely what they're writing and what you're signing, it's almost as though they expect each party to try and get out of this, right? When the going gets tough, these things are written. So, okay, what if they, what if this happens? Okay, write something about that. What if they start thinking this way? What if they have a loophole in the bank? Well, write that, and what you've got is a mountain of paper. And you have to have attorneys that are, that are watching to make sure it's legal. And what happened to our word? Well, the value of our word, as the value of our word goes down, these things like paperwork and all these people watching goes up to check. But gang, that has no power in it. That has no power in it. Marriage is the same way. Used to be, believe it or not, that a promise between families, you know, that my, my daughter's going to marry your son would be enough, and they would work this out. Now, people, when it comes to relationships and marriage and all, they, they plan to fail. Think about it. They, they plan to fail with prenuptial agreements, right? I mean, think about that for a moment. What is that? A prenuptial agreement. You know, when we, but nothing says I don't trust you as far as I can throw you, quite like a prenuptial agreement, right? I mean, if you're marrying, say, someone like, hey, ladies, let me see your hands. If Donald Trump comes along and wants to marry you, he doesn't trust you. It's probably the wrong reasons. He always has these prenuptial agreements like he's planning. This might go four or five years, and when it hits here, I don't want to get burned. Nothing says I don't trust you. It's quite like a contract that says I believe this thing's going to go south. Now this isn't saying promise the sun and the moon, but then do whatever you want. I mean, God's not saying in his word that your word needs to be powerful and strong and you need to back it up with, you know, I swear on my mother's grave type stuff. He's just saying, say very little. Like how about this, yes and no. But when you say it, do it. That's what he's saying. And that's missing in our society. And so we wonder why so many things break down. Now commitment is powerful, gang. And you're going to see that this morning. Think about this for just a moment. You can't get married without commitment. I mean, you can live together. Some of you are going, well, you can live together and do. It. I said, married. You can't get married without some level of commitment. You can't even get a license without commitment. You can't even get a license. You can't buy a house without commitment. You can't do much of anything worth doing without some level of commitment. We're going to talk this morning about the level of commitment and its value. And think about the three things I just mentioned, think about how watering down commitments has pretty much ruined those three things. Track with me for a moment. The entire economic collapse, not just in America, but around, hey, my wife's not here today, so I can sit wherever I want. I'm just gonna sit over here. And, so the entire economic collapse that we find ourselves, not only in America, but did you know around the world, is because of buying homes. How many of you know? I mean, because we've taken contracts to buy homes, and we basically took millions of people and said, you know what, here's zero interest loans. You can't afford this home at all, so don't pay any interest at all. Here's a, here's a house you can't afford, but no payments for a year. And we started taking the commitment and the responsibility and the value of it lower and lower and lower, and millions of people got in and bought homes. When they lost their job or didn't have a job at all, they couldn't pay for their homes, and all these mortgage companies and everything were going under, and then it just rippled throughout the planet. There's more fatalities on the road now than ever. Why? Because, first of all, anybody can get a license, anybody. Even if you're not a, an actual citizen of this country, you can get a license. Um, you can text while driving. In fact, how many of you ever driven down, no, I'm going to ask you if you text, because we have some police officers here, we'll just arrest you. Uh, but I, we were driving down, and Nathan, remember when we do this, we are driving down the road, we were just looking to see in fact, he's, my son's got his learner's permit and he's learning to drive and pray for us. So we're going down the road and he's, he's a good driver, but we're looking at all the people that we're texting. And so in the fast lane, you know, we're in the slower lane and on the fast lane, we counted like seven cars. Six out of 7 were driving, you know, with their thumb going, we're texting. And they say more accidents happen in texting than happen with drunk drivers. And yet, we don't really value getting behind, or or think it's that important, getting behind the wheel of a car that can kill. Text and what else? You know, obviously, yakking on the phone. Uh, Some people read while they're driving. Uh, Focus so much on a GPS, that tells you where you're going that you're not actually looking where you're going. And you can get caught drunk driving. I was watching this show about, and it was very sad about a fatality in drunk driving, but they said the guy had been arrested like 13 times for drunk driving. They put him back on the road, and he killed a family. So you have something like that and we just keep on putting them out because we don't really value. we've watered it down. No consequences, no anything. The divorce rate is higher now than ever before. Why? Because you can get divorced easier than ever before. People go into marriage and they're thinking in the back of their head, I've got a lot of trap doors that I can pull open and get out of this thing. There's a lot of open windows, the doors open. I can exit this thing a million different ways. In fact, even if it's completely my fault, there's this thing in most states called a no-fault divorce. How could ripping a family apart be nobody's fault? Think about that. It's awfully quiet in here, which is strange because this is an echoing gym that we're meeting in. I can hear every breath, and yet this is pretty serious stuff, right? We have minimized marriage to the point where you can go places like in Vegas, and Elvis can marry you in five minutes. I mean, it's just a quick overnight thing. Didn't Brittany do that once? And one of her 15 mayor or whatever, she went in, she, she, guys, she did. I'm telling you, Britney did that. She got married by somebody in Vegas and then got divorced like two days later. So far from what some of you think, Kim Kardashian does not hold the record for her 72 day marriage. I believe Britney beat her on that one. So write this down. If you're, and I'm going to say this twice. We don't, we don't value commitment, but it's, but we need to know that it's the decisions we make that lead to promises, that lead to commitment that give marriage the power to last. let so me say it again. It's the decisions we make that lead to promises that lead to commitment that give marriage the power to last. Now if that's true and we don't value commitment, we're in trouble, we're in trouble. So let's talk about the power of commitment. I'm gonna give you several things that commitment does that, have, that are powerful for your marriage that you probably didn't think of before. If you're writing these down, here's the first one. My commitments show my values. Does that make sense? This means yes. By the way, this means I'm asleep. Okay, so don't do that. My commitments show my values. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. You know what Jesus is talking about here? One of the masters is money, and the other one is God. No one can serve two masters, but what he means here is no one can serve any two masters. In other words, on the throne of your heart, there's room for one. That doesn't mean you can't do fun things, or it doesn't mean you can't make money and all that, but if you put money on the throne of your heart, then God's not going to be there. So he won't share it. No one can serve two masters, either hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Now think about that for a moment, right? I want us to really practically think about that, because just because the Bible says something today, people aren't accepting it. I mean, we say, well, God's Word says this. Some people are going, how do you know it's God's Word? Some people are backed up a lot further than that. But think about it for a moment. It's true. If you've committed to things, it shows. If you're truly committed. You notice how a lot of people talk? I'm not talking about talk. I'm talking about truly committed. I mean, if you're truly committed to working out, it shows. Some of you are thinking right now, well, oh, you're right. Pastor Rob works out. It shows. He's truly, <laughs> truly committed to that. I know, but let's not talk about me. I've got a, uh, I got a friend here that's pretty committed to working out, and I'm not going to point him out. You probably already noticed him. Built like Sylvester Stallone, ripped. No, 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 we're not. It's not me now. We've shifted. I'll give you a hint. He's over on this side of the room. That's all I'm going to say. He's here today. Some of you are looking. Some of you are going, is it me? Is it me? Is he talking about me? Well, listen, if you're committed to learning a language, how do you know if somebody's committed to learning a language? Hey, I want to learn Spanish. How do you know? If they said that two years ago, how do you know if they were committed? Come on they speak spanish right they don't just say five words um if somebody says man I, golf is my life i really love the golf i'm really committed to it well, then they're probably a decent golfer or you know some of you are going, well i'm pretty committed i still can't golf or at least you have the shoes the equipment and all the stuff to show that you're spending a lot of time with it there are signs fair enough right now some of you are saying i don't know if that's true I've known a lot of people who said that they're really wanting to learn maybe, like you said, Pastor, a second language. And they can't speak five words of Spanish. Like, it's really important to me. It's one of my life goals. I'm going to learn a second language. Or I've known a lot of dudes that brag, hey, you know what? I can bench. I can bench press this. And you, and you look at them and you go, man, I don't think you could out bench Dora the Explorer. I'm, I'm looking at you and there's no way. Well, gang, there's a word for that too. It's called lying. Okay? A lot of people will say what's important to them, but I'm not talking about just talking. I mean, isn't it true? Don't a lot of people tell you or project, this is what I'd love for you to think about me? I'm talking about if you want to know if they're really commitment, it'll sh- committed to something, it'll show. It will show. Truth is, whatever you spend the most of time, your time, your treasure, and your talent on, you're committed to. You value. Maybe it's even your functional savior. In some ways, whatever you commit most of your time, talent, and treasures to, That's what you value. Now, Jesus isn't saying that these things that we might commit our time and treasures, you know, at least some of them to, are bad. He's going to list some things here in a moment. He's not saying they're bad, but they make poor gods. There are many things that if we put them on the throne of our heart, they can master us. Here, Jesus is talking to one of the most powerful masters of them all, money. You guys ever watch Jeopardy, that show? I figure that this group needs me to stare at them a little bit more. So I'm gonna shift chairs. I love this, you know. So I'm gonna play Jeopardy. I, I hate Jeopardy, but I'm playing it for you all. And because I, I don't I don't trust to show that, that the answer is the question. I mean that's just backwards. I don't know who ever thought about that. But we're gonna do it, see how this works. The category is our economy. Our economy. I'm trying to, I don't think I did this right. Hold on. Um, what is, okay, hold on. Money, uh, uh, the dollar bill, All right? So what is the answer, dollar bill? What would you say about that? What is, what is, okay, I did it wrong, but I'm gonna answer to it anyway. What is more fragile than a Chinese Ming vase? Our money. What is more fragile than even a, a priceless million dollar Chinese Ming Ba? The dollar, you know how fragile our money system is? We moved on from Jeopardy, let it go, I did it wrong, but you know what's, uh, uh, our monetary system, which a lot of people will put faith in, I was reading an article, it's probably about 10 years old now, is incredibly fragile. In fact, some of you, when you hear this, you'll wish I didn't tell you, which I love telling you things that you wish I didn't, but here it is. I think it was in Money Magazine. This article said, if somebody suddenly blew a whistle that had the power to call in all the economic accounts around the world that had to be settled immediately, only 10% of the debts and 10% of the cash would be real around the world. <laughs> if something caused it to have to be called in. In other words, I, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, economics major, I'm not a big math guy, so let me, let me put this in a way that you and I can understand if you're struggling with this. If, the music stopped in the world of financial musical chairs how's that? 9 out of 10 people will be left without a seat because 90 percent of the transactions that happen in the economic world are backed by what? nothing nothing zero doesn't matter what language you speak nada, zip, zilch they're not backed by anything air so if you have those greenbacks in your wallet, in your pocket, that's, well, it's a U.S. government note. That in of itself, what well, it says a dollar. Well, I have a $50 bill. Well, it's actually backed by nothing. You, what you have is a green piece of paper. And if it was ever called in, you'd know that that's worthless. Seems like, if it's nothing, that a nothing God, a nothing God that's all smoke and mirrors is a poor God to serve, isn't it? Doesn't it seem like that? And Jesus talked more about money and serving it and the threat of losing your life serving money than anything else. And I'm trying to tell you that in our day and age, more people serve money. I'm just trying to tell you it's an empty God. It's smoke and mirrors. It's not really there. It's a very risky religion. That's why Jesus doesn't want to share his servants and the people that follow him with that master. Say, man, I've got an abundant life for you. I've got a great life for you. But this master, that's the one you really got to watch out for. Take them off the throne of your heart. All right, so it shows what you're committed to. What else do my commitments do? Write this down. My commitments shape my life. So this is kind of the other end. On the one end, your commitments show how your life is being shaped. But on the other side, the commitments you make shape your life, actually shape them. They actually begin to form who we are, you and I. Put it this way. You and I become what we're committed to. Have you ever heard that? Think about it for a moment. It's it's true. We become what we're committed to. I mean, if you're committed to triathlons, I love triathlons, but if you get obsessed and do them all the time, you're a triathlete, right? You become what you're committed to. We're literally, as people, as Christ followers especially, we're the sum total of what we're committed to. We're the sum total of whatever God is truly on the throne of our hearts. Proverbs 4:23 says, "Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life." Above what? I think if you're trying to rank something in importance, Solomon did a pretty good job here, right? Above all else, Hey, listen, watch this. There's nothing more important than guarding your heart. I read for, you, those of you that this will help. In the 1600s, William Harvey, you ever heard of him? A scientist. He discovered something fairly important. They didn't know before the 1600s. He brought, it brought about a, revelation, a revolution in the miracle world by discovering that blood is actually pumped by the heart. They didn't know that. And it circulates throughout the body. And in fact, anybody know how many times your heart will beat a day? 100,000 times. Every single day. Billions and billions of times in a lifetime. This one blew me away. If you were to take all your veins, arteries, and capillaries and lay them out straight... How long do you think that would be? From here to your house? 70,000 miles. You you and I have 70,000 miles of veins. I mean, it seems like God's setting up. Turns out the heart is pretty important, huh? I mean, physically, you're done. You're toast if your heart's not working. Solomon's saying here, take care of it. And we know, and, and our, co- our culture is so fi- focused on physically taking care of it, we know that's important. Solomon says, you want to know what's more important with a heart? Spiritually, take care of it. Take care of your heart. It's the wellspring. If your heart rots spiritually, you rot spiritually. Take care of it. Another way to say this is the things you and I allow in our life are the things that will shape us. Kind of like physically with your heart, the things you and I eat that cause cholesterol to go up and all that, well, that's gonna shape your health, right? The things you put in. Psalm is saying, guard that heart. How do you guard it? Well, there's things you actually put in your heart by what you see, by what you hear, by who you hang out with. You're feeding your heart. Spiritually, you're feeding yourself. You're putting stuff in there. So some of you go, I don't know how much of a desire to really spend time with the Lord. Well, it's probably because you've been filling up that emotional tank with something else, that spiritual tank with something else, and you've kind of numbed it and you've kind of deadened your desire to be with God. So, you are like, well, I don't know how to. I don't even want to save my marriage. I don't even know if I want to work on this relationship you're talking about. That's because you've let other things get in there, and, and maybe you've been basing your marriage on as long as there's butterflies, I work on this thing. And you are going, well, how come there aren't? Because you've been filling it up with other stuff. It's what your commitment to it shows. It's pretty important to you. If your marriage doesn't feel that important to you right now, it's probably because you've been filling that throne of your heart with something else that's more important. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is you can shift that pretty easy. I've almost never seen a marriage that can't be saved. In fact, I've actually counseled people that got divorced but wondered if they could get back together in God's eyes and and gotten married again and they have a model marriage. How far gone is that marriage? Dead, Divorced. Back together again. So, here's the next thing. My commitments determine my destiny. Some of you are like, man, he's going pretty far on the commitments thing. Well, how's that? That's about as far as you can go. Your commitments determine where you're gonna end up. Not only here on earth, but ultimately in heaven. Your commitments determine your destiny. Make good commitments and you're likely to have a bright future. Isn't it true make poor commitments to things, poor choices, and you're gonna ruin your future? We tell this to our kids all the time, but then we don't. A lot of times adults, will not listen to it ourselves. Ever notice how many people tend to trade eternal reward for temporary pleasure? Is it just me that knows, have you ever noticed that? Now this is something that that young people struggle with a little bit more, they'll trade things. Somebody will come along and say, man, you gotta try this, this is awesome, and maybe they've heard, yeah, but this can really harm you. Yeah, but it really feels good. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. If it feels good, do it. Really? Well, I love the thrill when you jump off of, maybe 20, 30 feet into the water in the river. So why don't, wouldn't it be more of a thrill to jump out of a plane without a parachute? That's pretty good. That would feel good for a while, a few minutes. Then it's going to feel fairly bad when you hit the ground. And what a dumb philosophy to live your life, right? If it feels good, do it. Drugs. So some people will say, you know, that they've got some bulletproof excuses to stay off course. Some people say, well, I, I love getting high. I love getting high. Well, it's got consequences down the road. Some people say about sex, you know, why should I wait? You know, I've heard the best thing is absence. Why should I wait until I'm married? Well, God says so, and he's got boundaries, and, and STD, sexually transmitted diseases, are an all-time high. I mean, there's penalties, but some people say, well, I want that thrill now. What if I don't live long? I want that now. Why should I wait? I can just have it now. Some people say, well, in our country, why, you know, why can't I be rich? Why can't I have stuff? Those rich people, they're just, so I'll just take it, I'll steal. Well, it has consequences. All these things have consequences. During the entire month of January, my wife and I went through this detox program. Any of you ever done that? You did, yeah, you're my son, I know you've done it. You're in the singleton household, you're gonna detox. I've done this like six times. It's basically, uh, how do you describe it, Nathan? Torture, you think it's, so it's, it's kinda like, Michelle's not here, let's just get honest, all right? It's, it's this thing that, that, that cleanses you up. But it's actually really good. I, I, when I'm on the detox and I finish that thing, I don't need the Red Bull that's in that coffee thing. Oh, I could say it this week, you know. My wife was here, she thinks that's coffee. No, it's Red Bull, I put Red Bull in there. She gave me all, <laughs> bright. but when I go on this detox thing, I don't need it, I'm clear and I'm bright. But this time, for some reason, when it was over, I just, man, I went crazy with the snacks. And you know, I think I lost like nine pounds on the detox. Well, I've gained 12. So, I'm thinking I'm, I'm a little bit worse off because of a momentary pleasure. Well, for me, the momentary pleasure this time, i never struggled with it so much, but I'm going to have to get it, is snacks. I mean, chocolate, things like that. I have weakness. And I seem to have developed a handful of fairly, like I said, bulletproof. I'm going to just use immediate example, excuse it, to help me stay off course, not on course, but off. Like just this one. You ever use that? Not just one. Here's some donut They're, they're little, they're donut holes. I mean, how, how many calories can a hole be? That's air. They're real little, so I'm really eating air, the donut holes, but how many of you can eat one donut hole? I can't. They're too small. It's not even right to eat just one. So I eat 100, usually, typically, I put them in. And how about this? Um, I'll go swimming at the Y, and I'll work it off. I'll work it off. Well, the Y's not across the street. It takes like 15 minutes to get there. So I, more often than not, just don't. Just don't go. I'll go running. Yeah, my son loves to run. He knows how many times I, I come up with, I've got to work, Nathan. But dad, you said you're done. I've got to work. Get out of here. You run. What? I'll skip the next two meals and have a detox shake instead. How about that? And so I'll drink one of these detox shakes and then I'll just say that. But listen, if you follow that up with a half a gallon of moose tracks, that's not going to work. <laughs> I've discovered that. it's not. Or listen, Will and Karis are staying with us. I don't want them to feel bad. So actually, I just thought of this. It's actually their fault. That, that, that's why. So listen, we can make excuses, but the fact is commitment's worth than commitment's hard. It shows what you really value and it shapes who you are. I keep eating that ice cream and it literally is gonna shape who I am. Well listen, lives have been ruined because some of the most important commitments that lead to a fulfilled life, gang, are just tossed aside. That God says, these are important. I want you to keep these. Lives have been ruined because we're going, I don't think it's that important. It's really not that much fun. And it, God, turns out, it takes a little bit of work. I don't, I don't like it. Lives are ruined because we've taken things like commitment and just said, I don't, I don't want to live life like that. I want to have fun now. Ruined. I'm talking about completely ruined lives. Matthew 16, 26 says, What good will it be for a man if he gains actually the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? The whole world. Hey, I'm a billionaire. Hey, I, I, I've been married to three supermodels. David, well, that's great. But forever and ever and ever, you're going to hell. What, what good is it to gain everything this world has to offer if eternally you're lost? How come we can't do that math? How come we can't do that math? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? When you get to heaven, you go, man, God, I, I did a lot. I give you everything I ever had. Do you think God wants the paper money? I mean, if you're, you know, Bill Gates. Hey, here's a here's a Microsoft computer. I wrote the. Do you think he wants your software? You think he wants your iPhone? What can you give in exchange for your soul? The implication here is nothing. You've got nothing you can give to buy that. It's a bad trade. So I'm going to talk to you for a moment about some of the most precious things in our lives that erode, that slip slide away. Um, slow erosions of our commitments. Why our commitments that are so powerful and important somehow get watered down and unimportant to us. Here's the first thing. We get distracted. If you're, you are taking notes on your little deal there, right off to the side, my eyes. Just, just write it off to the side. The easiest way you get distracted is your eyes. In fact, men, you're worse at this than women. We're just wired that way. So we, we just get distracted. We look all around. So, look, a butterfly. We just do. We're wired that way. You know what God's word calls your eyes? The windows of your soul. The windows of your, I mean, it's like your house and your body spiritually is a a house, in fact, it's a temple of God, and your eyes are a window, so where are your windows facing? I mean, what are you allowing to come in through the windows and creep into your life? Because honestly, that's gonna distract you. You say it's important to, get close to God, you say your marriage is important, well, what are your eyes looking at that could actually distract you or hurt you? Mark 4, 19 is what I was referring to. The attractions of this world, the delights of wealth, the search for success, and lure of nice things come in and crowd out God. You know what, as I I read that scripture, the delights of wealth, that's not really a sin to have wealth. There's nowhere in the Bible that says having money is a sin, did you know that? What about money's the root of all evil? What about that's wrong? It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money's just paper. The search for success. Well, it's not wrong to be good at what you do. Not at all. What else? The lure of nice things. It's not wrong to have nice things. So you have a passion. Why do you always preach against the health, wealth, and prosperity? Because that can't be your goal. It makes a bad God. But there's nothing wrong with all three of those things. What's wrong is to worship all three of those things. For example, I love to do triathlons, like I said before. I don't get to do them as much as I'd like to. There's nothing wrong with them. There's an an 11th commandment that says, thou shalt not do triathlons. But if I allow them to distract me, then it could become a, a functional savior. It can be wrong. It can be, I just said it's. I think it's a good thing. Keeps me in shape. Obviously, it's not triathlon season yet, but when it comes, I'll be in shape. And it's a good thing, but if it kept me from preaching, because a lot of triathlons are on Sunday, that'd be kind of a bad thing, right? So it might be a good thing that keeps me from the best thing. That's what I'm talking about. So it's funny, Jesus lists a lot of things that aren't bad, They're, they're good, but they may not be best. They may not be best. Parents, where are you? I want you to really hear this right now, because it seems like in America we have this disease where we're our kids are missing out on what we say is really the most important thing because we're getting them involved. or obsessed with, with good things. It's not so bad to have them in sports, but how come so many parents are treating their kids like they're gonna get a gold medal in the Olympics? I mean, you're training to be the next, I mean, some of you, maybe you swim. Are, are you really the next Michael Phelps, really? And so you put so much money to that, it becomes a functional savior or your God, and, it, and what's a good thing is not the best thing. It makes you miss the best thing. I'm just saying, it may not apply to you at all, but it can't be that all these people are raising Olympic athletes. It can't be. So they've kind of taken a good thing and made it best. Okay, parents, did you know even your kids can be a distraction? Ladies, where are you? Married ladies with kids, where are you? All right, you don't like this one, but here it comes anyway. It can be a distraction if you put your kids ahead of your husband. Then when you got married, you you're like, man, I can't wait! All the dreams, all the hopes we had. Then you have kids, and you go, well, this is for the kids. Well, this is their time. We have to put them first. Any of you ever done Growing Kids God's Way? Anybody ever heard of that? It's a great thing for it's a great pro raising kids, but it teaches you one of the most important truths: your relationship with God. Married people, where are you? Let me see you again. Your relationship with God's the most important thing. The second most important relationship in your wife in your life is your marriage. Is your marriage? And You know, one of the best gifts you can give your kids. Do you? A healthy marriage. A healthy marriage. Let them see dads that you love your wife. Let them see wives that you love your husband. Let them see a role model. Give them something to shoot for. That's the best gift you can give them, really. Okay, you were thinking it was an Xbox? I just saved you money. That's a better gift to give them. Give them a great marriage to look at. Here's another example for those of you that can't relate to that or you know, it's great to get up in the morning and read the newspaper. It's great to get up in the morning and check your email and do, and, do all that stuff. But is it the best thing? Is it the best? Some of you say, well, I really want to spend time with the Lord in the morning, but somehow I never quite get around to it. Well, maybe you've traded a good thing for the best thing. Maybe you've traded it. Maybe the best thing is to spend time with God. I, I keep going back to, and I you know, this is a struggle for me too. It really is, but I keep going back to Martin Luther because he, you know, the, the Reformation. He would get up at four in the morning every single day and pray for four hours. Some of you can't pray for four minutes. He prays for four hours. And actually, people, and, and the world was changing at this point. And one of the monks that, you know, was real near and dear to him would ask him one day, well, you know what? God's really using you. You're changing the world. How can you really afford to spend this much time? Imagine how much more you could get done. And his answer is something I've never forgotten. I can't shake it. How can you afford to do this? And he said to that monk, I can't afford not to. I can't afford not to. So I look at that and I go, you know, we kind of got a lot accomplished when you look at it. And, and he thought spending time with God was, more, there must be something to that. Other people who spent a lot of time with God, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, are you seeing a pattern here? How did they do that? How did they manage their time like that? Well, it's not so much that. It's amazing the power you have when you let God run the show. It's amazing the power that you have. So that's the first thing, distractions. The next thing is we get complacent. We get apathetic. You just don't care. Start living off the wedding that ceremony and the honeymoon and all that. That was 20 years ago. In fact, can I be real blunt about something? Some of you are living off uh, raising your hand in salvation or getting baptized that happened 25, 30 years ago, and honestly, you haven't grown one stitch since then. I don't know why my Christian life isn't really working. Uh, You know, I made some commitments, what? Well, I I raised my hand when there was a a commitment called, Pastor Rob, actually you did it, I still remember, it was 12 years ago. Well, what have you done since then? Jesus says, come and follow me, that's beyond the hand raise. Now there's a whole life of growth, so what have you done since then? I'll tell you what's happened. If you haven't spent time with the Savior, you've grown complacent. You've grown complacent. Some people can only point back to something like that. I remember when I felt so strongly for her. She was, you know, I remember when he used to treat me. Why are you remembering? Why aren't you experiencing? You're pointing back to an event, and because you haven't worked on it, you've grown lazy. Paul said in Romans twelve eleven, don't be lazy in showing your devotion. Use your energy to save the Lord. So let me tell you how these things, how to avoid these things that kill commitment. I'm going to give you five things, and we'll close with that. So, I like, oh, we're we getting ready to close? No, I just said five things. That takes time. Number one, <laughs> determine to pay the price. That's all. Just say, okay, this takes work. Well, okay, how much? What's it take to have a good marriage? This. Then, then just right out of the gate, I'm going to pay that price. She's worth it. He's worth it. Want a great relationship? Great marriage? It's going to cost you something. Man, anybody that tells you it won't is just <laughs> lying to you. Just lying so it's going to cost you something. But look up here. Watch this. It's going to cost you a whole lot more to see that commitment go south. I'm amazed, when I, when I did a lot of marriage counseling, I'm amazed at how many guys especially just say, listen, it's not going to hurt anyone. Listen, I, I've met someone else. I just want to be happy. It's not going to affect my kids. Or, Are you kidding me? How many of you come from a broken home? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up if that affected you at all. Wow, not only did the hands stay up, more hands got added. Of course it's gonna affect you. What a lie to say, well I just won't be happy, it doesn't affect anybody else. Yeah, it does. It affects other people. There's a price to be paid to have a great relationship. There's a higher price that's gonna be paid to blow it off. There's a financial cost, emotional cost that I've looked at, a spiritual cost, physical cost, relational cost. How about a memory cost? Now you've got some pretty bad memories, some haunting things, and some hurts that take a while to get over. Did take a while to get over. I believe all those cost more than the cost you pay to just keep your commitments. So, here's what I want to say to you. Instead of being shocked, hey, I haven't walked down the aisle for a long time, instead of being shocked that commitment is going to cost something, how about we shift and expect it? How's that? Hey, we're building a launch team as a church. We're about ready to get the 101 class here. I'm about to say, you know, let's serve together. There's gonna be a cost, but it's gonna be a movement that follows. And the cost is relatively small, but we're not looking for people to just show up at Impact Church and sit down and hear a message and sing some music, sing some songs. We're looking for a commitment because we think it's worth it. To change the world, I'd say that's worth it. So determine there's gonna be a price. In fact, there's going to be a commitment. If you sit down, guys, you say, I want to get in shape, there's going to be a commitment. Sometimes you've got to do things you don't want to do. I'm going to watch this football game and eat this entire bag of Doritos, or I'm going to go work out now because I've got it written down that I'm supposed to work out. Well, if you say, well, I'll work out later, I'll eat these Doritos like I did for a while, there's a cost. And I think right now to get back in shape is going to take me longer than that torturous detox that I did. Going to take me longer now. I've got a higher cost to pay. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 said, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This does not sound like so much of what I hear on TV. Come follow Jesus and he'll make all your troubles go away. Come follow Jesus and you'll be rich. Come f- I'm looking at this. Who's talking here? Jesus. So you got somebody else saying he's absolutely gonna make you rich and all he wants to do is bless your socks off. Well here's Jesus talking and here's the contract. If some people know, if anyone would come after me. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have to deny yourself, take up your cross if you really wanna follow me. That just sounds different. So expect it. Here's the next thing. Give it your best effort. Give it your best effort. If you want something to be great, you're gonna have to put something into it, in my opinion, every single day. Michael Phelps did not win a lot of gold medals because he swam on the weekends. Just a little bit. He swims every single day. In fact, he swims like six hours. It's unbelievable. And he, got, he wanted to be a great swimmer. So he put a little something, a big something into it every day. It's worth it. You can do this. In fact, let me, let me put it in perspective. I think in our country, if we would just put as much time, some of us, into our marriages... Guys, especially, as we do our lawns. I, let me take something trivial and small. Our lawns. I used to be pretty obsessed. I just loved, I used to love really having a nice looking lawn, so I'd fertilize it probably too much, edge it, weed it, do all that stuff, and then I became a pastor. <laughs> there was just no time for that. But I'm thinking, even in, if, if just take that time into making sure that all your neighbors drive up and look and see a, a beautiful lawn. How about if they... Everyone that knows you drives up and sees a wonderful marriage. Which one do you value? Pastor, move on. I don't really like that one so much. (laughs) And then we wake up, and it's funny, and we're shocked. We're shocked. What happened to my marriage? You can't just do nothing and then be shocked when it doesn't work out. You can't spend no time with your spouse and then wonder why he or she thought the grass was greener on the other side. Take a look at this.
1: I never saw us growing old together. I never, I never saw us on the porch in rocking chairs 30 years from now. Probably about three and a half years after we first met, I was working in dispatch one night and uh, he heard me on the radio. So he called, he was working that night and um, he asked me what I thought about going out with him. And how did that go?
2: Not too good. (laughs) She hung up three times. Hung up on me three times.
1: We'd pull away, push away, um, end it. Um, Not wanna continue anymore. Um, And then when we were apart, we missed each other. We were apart for about a year and almost a year to the day. He convinced me that no, we need to continue this. And as soon as we got married, And the same cycle started all over again.
2: The biggest problem with our relationship was me being self-centered and thinking the world revolved around me and not understanding that when you get married, things change. People change. Circumstances change. I thought I could just keep living life like I always had.
1: There were some things that I had found out along the way that were devastating to me. And, um, we both know I cried for thirty days. <laughs> it was a whole entire month. That's all I did. I cried, my heart was broken.
2: and the way I was kind of indoctrinated into uh, family life was that married people were miserable, and that's just the way it is, and it's what you're supposed to do, kind of thing and if you're unhappy being married, it's, it's okay, because that's just the way it is.
1: Things were so bad at home. Um, work was a pleasure. And uh, I came to a point that I was done with that. I was going to file for divorce.
2: That morning, it was a Sunday morning, and I was on my way home, and I heard a, a pastor on the, the radio. Um, before I left, I said, uh, I said a prayer in the parking lot because I prayed whenever I was in trouble, and I was in trouble. So uh, on the way to the house, this preacher kept praying or talking, and he said, Say this prayer with me. So at a stoplight, I, I pray again. And uh, I look up at the stoplight, and a shooting star went across the sky. And I haven't, I've never really paid much attention to stuff like that, but this is really odd.
1: I picked up my Bible for the first time in I don't know how long, and I started reading. And one of the first things that I read was in Joshua. And it said, as for me and my family, we shall serve the Lord.
2: When I got home, generally I would come in, change my clothes, mill around. I went straight to her. She was already awake. And she said, I got to tell you something. I said, me too. So I told her my story that had happened. And we just both looked at each other and said, "We we have to go. And a friend had been inviting us to a church that Uh, Pastor Rob was speaking at, and um, I was nervous. She was resistant. But we we made it that Sunday morning, January 17,
0: 2010.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm not good with dates. That's why that's kind of significant. (laughs) And uh, sitting there that day, I had never been in a church where I I wanted to be there. I, I wasn't worried about what time it was. It seemed like Pastor Rob was speaking straight to me. You know, how's this guy know so much about me? I've never seen this guy before.
1: And he said, you know, how many of you in here, he said, are going through these trials and these tribulations? And you're asking yourself every time something bad happens or every time you cross something, you're asking yourself, why me? Why me? Why me? And he paused again and he said, why not you? Why not you? do you have any idea what Christ did for you when he carried that cross and carried your sins and he had done that thing? And um, it did, it felt like somebody had just kicked me in the stomach. And I knew that that was, that was God speaking to me.
2: But just to be around people that I grew to respect and to see how they treated their families and they were role models for me was huge. And that's how I learned that I couldn't worship on my own, which was what I always said, that I didn't need to be in church.
1: And we both nailed everything that we were going through to that cross. And it felt like the biggest relief. And we were in the parking lot and I said, I'm not going to divorce you. I'm not going through with filing those papers.
2: I really think the putting God at the center of your marriage will kind of let everything else take care of itself. And I think if, so, if somebody's not married and they're thinking about it, they need to start by putting God in the center from the get-go so they don't have to live like we did.
1: It's what we have and what we promised God was an ultimate commitment that no matter what, we will keep.
0: Love that, love that. Married folks, let me see your hands again. The world has lied to you. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you take care of it. It may look, it's funny, I saw, I read about how some places when it's winter and yards dry up and they have Bermuda and stuff, there are places that actually spray your yard green to make it look that way. That's what you're seeing on the other side. Smoke and mirrors, fake. It's not real. It's dead grass sprayed. It's not greener on the other side. It's greener where you take care of it. Your marriage can be saved. I don't care how bad it is, it can thrive. What was the key on that? They changed their commitments. and started valuing, centering their life around Jesus Christ. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit. Third thing, I told you there's five. Focus on choices, not conditions. I'll go quicker on these now. Focus on choices, not conditions. Focus on the promises you made, your yes be yes, your no be no, and not conditions. Well, it got really hard. I didn't think it was going to get hard. Now it's hard, I quit. That's focusing on conditions. Hey, it's going great right now, man. It's like smooth sailing, so we're going to stay together. That's conditions. If you focus on that, they go up and down. Do they not? They go up and down. You're doomed you focus on that. Focus on the promises you made and you'll make it, focus on the savior you serve, who you're centering your life around, and you'll make it, Matthew 26, 39, 41 says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. It's the night in which, right before Jesus was crucified, he's actually saying, I'm looking at what's coming, and this is horrifying, it's going to hurt, there's so much pain, nevertheless, why did I come? Nevertheless, I came to accomplish this mission. Is there any other way? I'm checking. No? Then I forge ahead, because I made a decision. And you and I can be saved, because he didn't turn back on his commitment to us. What if he had? Commandments are kind of important, aren't they? Fourth, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't put your eyes on other things. You you know what, you can't fill your mind with some of the stuff on TV now. And I'm noticing on cable TV especially that some of the the basic shows they're marketing, even to teens, are so filthy. Seriously, they're so, there are things on there that in the rating system growing up in the movies, they would have been rated X. And they're just on cable, on ordinary shows now. You fill your eyes with that, and you can't expect to have any level of of fidelity in your your relationship. There's no way. It's not gonna happen. If you allow that into your mind, it'll be the beginning of erosion. Proverbs four twenty-five through 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet. And take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your eyes on that prize. And finally, commit to Christ first. And this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. You know, some people will will take something like what I've shared with you this morning and go, I saw steps in there. I got them all down. I'm gonna take this home and because I learned it in church, it's probably better than Oprah. So I'm gonna try these steps and listen, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ, these steps are just steps. They won't work. The power is in the Holy Spirit. The power is in Jesus Christ. So listen, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Keep them closed, just for a little bit here. 2 Chronicles 69 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, roam throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Whose hearts are fully committed to Him. If you commit your life to Christ, everything is going to change. I don't mean a cakewalk, that's a lie. But everything is going to change. Change. That's what this next verse in Romans is really saying. It's, it, Paul's saying, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. Keep your eyes closed. I just want you to think on these words. Just listen. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and Peace. Maybe you've tried even some of the steps that I've said this morning before and you thought, you know what, they they never work. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. If you don't, that can change right now in an instant. He died for you, sinless, the God-man, fully man, fully God, stood in the gap, the last sacrifice because he's perfect, and paid a price for his Holy Father that you and I could not pay. What do I have to do, Pastor? You can't really do anything. All you have to do is put your trust in him. Receive his gift. And you know what he'll do? He'll adopt you. And if you wanna do that and you don't really know what that means or what that looks like, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. I'll lead you in this prayer And, and my words don't really matter but you really talking to God matters. So if you want that to change you want to commit your life to Christ pray silently in your heart after me Father thank you for sending your son Jesus I'm sorry for doing things my own way I'm sorry for going after anything and everything but you I'm putting so many things and so many other people and even myself on the throne of my heart when only you belong there Forgive me, Lord. I accept the gift you paid for on the cross and invite you into my heart. As my Savior first, and then as my Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen. You guys can open your eyes and also would like to call the prayer team up here. Got a couple folks that are going to come and and pray with us. If you prayed that, about the worst thing you could do is keep it a secret in your life and just slip off home and say, man, I'm covered. Because, you know, we talked today, didn't we, about the person who looks back 20 years says, I remember raising my hand, so I guess I'm good. Actually, you just started the greatest adventure of your life. And if you want to still spend some time in prayer and and get to know this a little bit more, please don't leave without coming and, and praying with our prayer people up front and and may, they're going to they slip away behind the curtain and you can talk to them as long as, as you need. you can have a lot of questions and stuff. And please don't leave without telling anybody. In fact, there's a place on that card. We're just getting ready right now to give back to God and have the offering. And Will's going to share a song, actually, that he wrote for his wife, Karis, at their wedding. So this could get pretty emotional here in the room. But, uh, and as that's going, there's really two things. Think about the power of commitment in your relationships, married folks, because this ends the series right now. Doesn't mean we won't do any more, but for now, for a season, we're not. The power of commitments, the words that you said when you got married, and for those of you that are brand new creatures in Christ, the power of the commitments you can now make through the Holy Spirit. Don't blow this off. Don't say, I went to church. I learned some cool stuff. Remember, greatest days of your life start with these two most powerful decisions that you made today. Let's pray. You can stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for the lives that were touched and Father, thank you for the refocused and, and, and the intention to get committed again, Lord, to let our yes be yes, our no be no. Lord, for the marriages that were strengthened in this series, Lord, I thank you for uh, the help I got with my wife doing this, Father, and for the, the family and especially the precious wife you've given me, Lord, to do ministry side by side. Father, I pray that as a church, that as you raise up this movement, that we know that your whole mission, you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And now, if we're gonna be a church, we need to carry on that mission, God. I pray that every single person here will find people to do this very easy thing with, to have viewing parties, to start watching this series, and then invite them to church. God, we're praying for a big harvest, and that we add many brothers and sisters to your family this Easter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us, gang. See you next week.